0: Okay, so here we are again for another episode of the Python People podcast, uh, the home for global technology leaders to share insights with the tech community. Uh, my name is Guy Bevington. I'm the MD of True North Recruitment Group. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Kamil Talinsky, um, Data Science Manager for Mishpondarea. Camel, a warm welcome. How are you, uh, how are you on this glorious uh, Thursday?
1: Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Not a problem at all. Honour is all mine. And um, yeah, thanks again for, for coming. And I guess to frame the episode for today and, and why you and I thought it would be a good idea to sort of put our heads together and uh, and record this uh, this podcast. So um, obviously one of the focuses of True North as a business is specifically around the data science and, and uh, AI field. And one of the things I'm, I'm always really fascinated by about the, the world of data science, to be honest, is the way machine learning and analytics can be applied to different sectors, you know, the different use cases that exist in different different sectors because it's just such an exciting field that the possibilities feel almost endless, really. Um, and Michigan you know, clearly a very prestigious uh, international uh, law firm, global law firm, and uh, I guess law and, and the legal sector is, is an interesting one, isn't it? Because it, it dates back so far and it's uh, an industry that's steeped in, you know, real tradition and heritage. Um, yeah, it feels like an industry where machine learning could make such a real difference in terms of uh, really innovating uh, the sector and uh, providing services. I guess that just have never really existed until the, the concept of AI and machine learning was uh, was more readily available. So we thought, you know, let's uh, let's get together and share a few ideas. And who better to pick the brains of than the uh, the data science manager for um, Mishwandairea yourself. So um, before we, we delve in and, and sort of get into the nitty gritty, um, if you'd like to kindly just give us a, a bit of your background and uh, a bit of your career to date uh, to to, to introduce yourself, that would be uh, that'd be awesome.
1: Sure. So um, I consider myself to be a person that knows you know few things in a few areas, so just be I always had uh, had this interest in, in science and. Uh, I got to say that I think Encyclopedia was my favorite book when I was a, when I was a kid. I used to just mm. flick through the pages, just look for interesting topics and, uh, and learn new things. So um, you can imagine how excited I got when I found out about uh, Wikipedia and that you know, it's, it's dating, it's online, you can learn so many things. So uh, well, what does a kid that that likes encyclopedias do um, in their life, i figured out I'll uh, I'll start uh, my education and get my master's degree in uh, economics, uh, specific, more specific in international finance, where I specialized in in econometrics because I always liked uh, the quantitative side of things. Uh, And I found it extremely, uh, extremely interesting. Then at some point while doing a master's degree, I realized actually, you know, I like professional services as well. So why don't I get another, another master's degree? And I got a, 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 a master's degree in law because I thought, uh, I mean, I never intended to, to practice law, but I thought it's so interesting to know the law. And since the law surrounds us every day and, you, you know, you, you're bound by, by the contract that you sign with your energy provider or as, as a consumer, you need to know your rights. So I thought it's just, you know, it's obvious for me that I need to know more. So of course, decided to get a degree, which has been uh, well and uh, fun and all. <clears throat> uh, and uh, and then upon graduation, I decided, well, I'll probably stick to finance for now. And uh, uh, and I went into into banking, into some finance and analytics role roles, uh, and. <laughs> I, I always thought that the law would be something that's you know uh, that's going to move the needle and make, make me a like, better better candidate actually, but uh, a lot of times in, in finance people don't really like when you when you know the law. I don't want to name any companies, but yeah, it led to some funny funny situations when during the interview someone just you know asking about the law, and then they uh, kind of waringly ask if I know anything about employment law as well. That was kind of a red flag, <laughs> not that it's, you know, in, by any means, representative of the, of the industry, but uh, interesting. So um, I've, uh, I've worked in Poland, in Luxembourg, then moved to the UK. Uh, I spent some time in London and uh, I've, I sort of figure out, I mean, <laughs> third time's the chance. So why don't I get another master's degree? And uh, I kind of considered doing an MBA because I thought, well, that sort of makes sense once you have some experience. So uh, uh, so I was looking at different options, but uh, since I always had this passion for quantitative science and, uh, uh, and you know, experience in econometrics as well, I came across this article that said that econometric methods can be used in uh, uh, regard to other data sources and uh, uh, not just economics, not just uh, time series. So, so I thought, uh, well, why don't I look into, into, you know, data science? That was the first time I sort of came across this term. And then uh, my girlfriend, who actually graduated from uh, from UCL, she told me about this, uh, this master's program in business analytics, which is essentially about data science and how to use data science in business. And uh, I thought, well, that kind of makes sense. I looked into it and I decided, OK, awesome, let's do it. I got lucky enough to to, to receive um, a scholarship a Mansion House scholarship from the Lord Mayor of London and worshipful company of international bankers since I had a background in finance. And, uh, and uh, well, accepted the offer uh, to the, the study at UCL. Mm, as part of my degree, I started working on a natural language processing problem. It was around transfer learning, and uh, I really got into it. I thought, wow, this is awesome, and write this text. So, uh, so. <clears throat> So I thought, well, this is interesting. Let's let's look at the career options. And uh, uh, I was uh, lucky enough to to receive an offer from uh, from Michigan. Uh, Michigan Doctor Alistair Moore, who was uh, um, creating the team of data scientists at at Michigan's, uh, uh, well, was an amazing person and, and a great mentor to me. Uh, we still work together. Uh, he he sort of offered uh, offered me a job. And uh, uh, at first I was kind of skeptical because, because you know, it's a it's a real firm. So from my experience, I know quite a few lawyers, and uh, they usually prefer Abacus to a calculator, pen and paper to computer, maybe a typewriter. Mm. So uh, it's not exactly, uh, uh, it's a common misconception that it's considered to be a, an industry which is not evolving Well, little did I know. So uh, Michigan is not a typical law firm, although at its core it's, it's focused on litigation and on, uh, you know, advising clients on legal matters and, you know, right, from corporate to private and real estate and all, all, all areas of law. But it's, uh, it also has uh, other practices within, uh, within its structure, such as MDR Discover, which is an e-discovery practice, which is, okay, well, interesting. Uh, then I heard about NDA Cyber, which is a cybersecurity unit within within the law firm. I thought, okay, well, there's something going on in there. Uh, uh, I also learned about NDL Lab, which is uh, an accelerator program uh, for legal startups that was uh, created by Nick West, who's a, a chief strategy officer uh, at Michigan, and it's truly uh, like un- unbelievable. Think that, that this accelerator can actually shape uh, the the the, uh, the environment of legal tech uh, worldwide. Actually, and people with with ideas from from various uh, uh, on various stages of development can actually spend time with lawyers and and figure out the product market fit, uh, and make sure the product is relevant, and test it as well. So uh, so uh, with uh, with a lot of companies. Uh, uh, from, uh, that actually went through the accelerator, such as Ping or Third that are now leaders in the industry. I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on, and um, the the other interesting aspect of, of Michigan was that uh, I mean, that only recently we've launched this NDRX Tech practice, which realizes the idea of compliance by design, so making sure that you know your solution that you're working on is actually compliant with the regulation. So it's just truly an amazing environment with, with everyone at, at every stage ranging from, from the whole organization is actually you know, interested in, in, in using and applying innovation. So uh, I figured out, okay, well, that's, that's an interesting space. Although, again, still quite skeptical, I've, I've realized that uh, uh, legal tech is actually evolving very, very quickly. And uh, I was very happy to be to be, uh, be working uh, as a, as a data scientist at uh, at Michigan, and because it's just truly an amazing amazing environment and an amazing uh, team where we, uh, we can really impact the, the way legal professionals work and uh, and uh, the, the way businesses run as well. Mm, yeah,
0: fantastic! Thank you. That was a great story and. Uh... I really like the fact that, um, you know, you've, you've sort of found your route into into law and, and like th- say, through, into data science. Um, through oh, no, absolutely.
1: I mean, the, you, you see that the, the law firms are, are the place where, where, where they have loads of text, so it makes sense if you, if you have interest in NLP, it sort of really makes sense.
0: Mm yeah absolutely yeah it does it makes total sense and uh it does seem really i mean I, I agree with you it is one of the areas we've got a few few clients in the in the legal space and legal tech does seem one of those areas where because it has been that's historically this very manual kind of um you know um industry i guess um it's just absolutely ripe for disruption in, in use of technology and um in, in an appropriate way and um yeah, it seems like Michelin's approach is is one you know, very innovative approach to legal tech. Um, like I say, with these uh, all these different innovation labs and uh, you know, compliance by design and things like that, it's really uh, really forward thinking, pioneering stuff. Um, so, so yeah, I guess on that note, I mean, talk talk us through your experience and of how data science can be applied to the legal sector and your your time within in law so far. You know, what are some of the most interesting revelations that you feel that um, yeah, data science has as an impact onto the, the, the sector?
1: Yeah, so um, I mean, again, one of the common misconceptions is that uh, that AI and data science and machine learning solutions are there to, to replace the lawyers. It's, it's, it's nothing nothing like that. Mm. It's, uh, uh, no one's ever imagining the world, I hope, without, without the lawyers. At least I wouldn't want to live in such a world. Mm. Uh, but uh, there's definitely a lot that we can make in order to, to create this uh, sort of uh, Lawyer 2.0 uh, and in order to provide tools and solutions to, to, to lawyers to enhance that, the things that they can do for the clients in a better or more efficient way. So there's a, there's a lot of things related to, uh, to data-driven, uh, data-driven decision-making and implementing it in the legal sector, in, in the law firm. Uh, which is also applicable to all the other businesses, because essentially you want to make uh, as informed decisions as possible, and uh, uh, the best way to do it is by analysing the data that you have uh, available. Uh, so, so that's one way of sort of impact, impacting everyday, uh, uh, everyday operations of the of the of the in the legal sector is by just looking at what's going on and uh, helping make decisions that uh, uh, which you can. You can justify it with the data rather than with just you know philosophy or, or, or your, your managerial skills not it's not important obviously mm-hmm. uh, and uh, i mean the other part of, uh, of, the, of working in the legal sector and data science is being able to translate those concepts that are very often uh, driven by maps and by quantitative analytics to, to people who are not necessarily uh, that technical or, or maybe not fond of uh, math. Uh, so uh, communication is definitely something that uh, that is important when you apply data science and communicating the results that you that you achieve, so that you can you can find ways to to optimize the the, the business processes within the firm. Uh, the big part of it is actually related to gathering the data. I mean, uh, <clears throat> if you think about what lawyers do, actually. They, uh, you would very often find them with a, with a highlighter, right? Which means that they have some labeling capacity, so that they're actually creating some, some data sets. The, the idea here is to uh, make sure that we can, uh, we can capture this data and make it available in a certain format for further analysis. And uh, it can relate to things related to our analyzing the document, Finding clauses that are problematic or extracting some legal arguments as well, analyzing judgments. Of course, not just the, not, not from the perspective of the outcome, but for, from the perspective of uh, of what happens throughout the the, the legal matter, and uh, uh, and seeing how uh, how judgments are, are being created, how matters are being won, uh, how the projects are being managed. So there's a lot of points from which you can you can source, and uh, bread and butter of uh, of legal work is time reporting. So you have those very detailed uh, information on uh, what's going on, what what are the business processes in this in this uh, in this sector, and uh, and it's amazing to be able to to essentially extract it, analyze it, and then provide it back in in a different form to legal practitioners.
0: Mm. Yes, yes, absolutely, and you raise a really interesting point there about how, I think it's a, it's a fair, uh, fair conception um, across lots of different sectors that the, the rise of AI and machine learning means the, the, the death of humanity and, and jobs, um, and there is always that big ethical debate isn't there about you know, which industries would actually really benefit from more AI based decision making, but like you say, something like law raises that real big ethical emotional um, question about actually yeah how much of that would you want to put into the fate of a, of systems and data versus actually human input and so that's actually a very good point but I guess the, the, the point you, realize you made um, you've made very articulately there is surely AI machine learning is about uh, accelerating that process for um, lawyers you know saving them time and I guess really you think about any kind of lawyer that I've ever spoken to, it's about having the right information at their disposal to, to make the right decision. And I guess that's huge in terms of what machine learning can do, how it can, you know, um, categorise the right information and present the right information to people and, and spot the, the patterns and the trends based off previous, you know, um, legal precedents and, and case histories and things like that. And uh, that's only ever going to make a good solicitor or a good lawyer better at their job, isn't it, having more of the right information um, sooner, I guess, so uh, yeah, I can fully understand how it's uh, it pay a huge part in, in making um, uh, lawyers more effective at their job. Um, and you mentioned earlier NLP, I mean, clearly the, the the legal world is a world steeped in documentation and, uh, you know, huge amounts of texts for, uh, for lawyers to kind of be uh, delving through. Um, what what are you most excited about in the world of uh, of law from a, an NLP application perspective? You know, how can uh, natural language processing be applied? Do you feel um, in kind of the most innovative ways for for the law firms?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, there's uh, there's abundance of, of text and documents available at, uh, at a law firm. So uh, when I think about natural language processing applications in uh, in, the, uh, in law, and something that excites me most is those uh, the legal language models that are being uh, created. We can see those, um, you know, extremely, extremely large gargantuan gar- language models with billionaire parameters being created. And the, the their capacity for, for making, uh, the, the, actually, their performance on a lot of tasks is just, uh, is just unbelievable. <clears throat> and, uh, and I'm definitely excited on how things are going to unfold in there, although I suppose that, there's gonna, that we're going to see more uh, sort of uh, specialized language models that are focused on specific tasks, but tasks that are actually very, very difficult even now for, uh, for humans. <coughs> sorry um uh, the the other the, the other things that I'm excited about about are those tools for analyzing text data and uh, tools that are specifically uh, created for the purpose of analyzing uh, legal language uh, such as blackstone which was written by dan Hoadley, and, uh, and the the capacity the the capabilities of of such tools just to, to just help us in in our every everyday uh, work. The other area that I think is uh, is extremely interesting, and not only from the point of the uh, of, uh, legal sector, is the uh, natural language understanding and how we can enhance natural language understanding. And uh, that actually goes both ways. So one thing that's very popular is just uh, teaching the machines to understand, uh, uh, understand the language, <coughs> uh, learn more what certain words mean, but uh, very often, I think we we're not able to to actually extract proper meaning, but we're extracting a certain form of the language that uh, that language model has learned through statistical inference, and hence they are so good at uh, generating text or answering certain questions. Uh, and then uh, the the other point of that is <coughs> sorry is how we can make. Uh, how we can make documents and, and legal text um, easier to understand for humans as well. So uh, we, we've been working on project with, uh, with Amplify, uh, who, who intends to simplify terms and conditions and legal documents of contract and make them available to, um, to make them easier to understand for, for human beings as well. And uh, I still think there's a lot to be done in natural language understanding because we, even as as humans, often tend to misunderstand certain uh, certain concepts between us. And uh, so, there's still a long way before machines will be able to truly understand it. But it's definitely exciting, and it's definitely uh, uh, the way forward, uh, I'd say. Uh, other thing that I think is, I mean, it's, it's sort of related to, to to NLP, but I think it's more related to legal sector in that case is uh, the concept of creating law as a code so perhaps it's taken a little step back when it comes to our capabilities when it comes to to analyzing text but perhaps we could make uh, uh, legal clauses consumable by <coughs> by machines in an easier format so it's more structured and it follows that the principles of of code uh, I see those solutions being very uh, uh, successful in taxes, for in, in taxes, for instance, in the area of tax law. <coughs> so there's a, there's really a, a wide array of, of options of how things are going to evolve and how they're going to get uh, embedded in the world of, of law. But mm-hmm. it's definitely a very exciting period, uh, given the, uh, the the progress of, uh, of natural language processing methods and models over the past few years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I guess the uh the point you make there about the natural language understanding is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because um and I was having this conversation with someone today about you know the difference between real intelligence in, in the way we kind of see sentience and, and intelligence and and a very high performing uh you know machine learning algorithm. You know, the real difference to me anyway is is context you know actually the the real intelligence is able to understand the 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 context of a situation how that's applied versus a, a binary black and white algorithm which is um you know it's either this or that and uh yeah the natural language understanding piece i can imagine that is such a complicated um, challenge, such a complicated problem to build into, you know, models and, and systems in terms of spotting the patterns, but taking into account context of the situation as well. You know, from a legal uh, perspective, that must be so important to to get that right. But I can imagine, um, let's like say, if we can get it right, the, the value that is there would be absolutely huge. Um, I mean, we're
1: getting there. We're getting there slowly yeah. and steadily. We're getting. There.
0: I have faith. I have faith, the, the right man in charge. Um, but no, that's that's really interesting. And um, the, uh, the the other area I was quite interested to understand from a sector perspective is you know when, when most companies most industries now know that they should be doing something in AI, machine learning, data science, whether they realise what it can do or not. But it's such a buzzword, isn't it? Such an area of investment in, in um, from technology standpoint. Um, But I think a lot of companies are still struggling with this idea of because they don't necessarily understand the benefits yet of what it can do. It's that sort of paradigm, that that spectrum between investment and seeing value from that investment. And as we all know, a large portion of data science is R and D. You know, it's it's developing ideas, it's developing models, developing algorithms, and a lot of it is to a more or less degree from the business side, a real leap of faith, you know, putting, uh, building a team around something that I think it's fair to say doesn't necessarily have a huge amount of immediate tangible value, you know, but on some of the areas that they're they're working on. So how do you see that relationship playing out um, in a kind of real world commercial context between R&D and actually demonstrating real value for the business? You know, how do you see, how do you balance those two things?
1: So I guess one thing that comes to my mind is that uh you, you just need to start and the sooner you start the better because that's how you create uh, successful businesses the businesses that have uh, uh, that have invested in research and development and that uh, that that are anticipating the future uh, is going to be slightly different and uh, uh you really need to research that because you don't want to you, you don't want to apply solutions that are not uh, completely trustworthy. So you need to spend a lot of time making sure that, that this actually works. And it's not just that it it, it works now, but uh, it's also that creating the whole infrastructure and the whole environment. And, uh, and the whole culture in, in, in the company as well that appreciates that it's, uh, it and looks forward to, to you know to being part of it and uh, every technology goes through through certain stages of development right mm. before it gets uh, widely adopted so we, we need to be very careful to to, to research the, this space of AI and machine learning and then slowly and steadily build certain custom solutions uh, uh, suited for the prob- problems which then later on can be productionalized and, uh, and eventually become a commodity something that's uh, uh, it's available everywhere and for everyone but it really needs to go through all the stages and uh, the other thing is related to you know testing and understanding the solutions that you might want to use because it's easy to get a product from someone implementing a business model and then realize actually it's not working. But if you're able to research that and understand what's going on, you, you might as well be able to, 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 you know, to move the needle whether the company is able to, um, to, to become successful in, in the future, keep, being successful keeping the needle. I'm, I mean, that's my personal opinion, but I think it's never enough research. But then again, it comes from a kid that likes encyclopedia, so maybe it's slightly <laughs> different. But <clears throat> uh, sometimes I think about it in a slightly different way as well. So even if we are able to to advance certain fields just a little bit, and contribute with our ideas or the way that the results of our research and then someone else picks it up later on and they carry on with this research and then, you know, another group of researchers take it and they further advance something and then there's a completely different person on the other side of the world that actually turns it into a product. I mean, it is a success because it's slightly contributed to, to, to making things better and to solving our problem as well even if we have to pay for someone else's product, right? But there's this whole chain, and I mean, I don't want to dwell into details into the, the, the philosophy of science and how it impacts the business and how it's interrelated and what things can happen. But um, I always I'm all, I always think that uh, the, the more research, the better, and the, the, the widely adopted it gets and the widely understood it gets, the, the better. Uh, it's like, you know, we can't really underestimate the value of the I mean, I realise that I'm deviating a little bit the value of the periodic table of elements, right? I mean, it has changed chemistry substantially, and very often it's attributed to, to Mendeley. Of course, he's done a lot of work on it, but uh, you, you may not realise that there was John uh, Newlands who actually <laughs> who actually created it uh, earlier, I think twenty years earlier. But uh, he he made this uh, he made this point of uh, periodic element of elements being like uh, like octaves in music, and then uh, all the experts in chemistry said, "Well, how can uh, chemistry to music?" And they refused to publish his his research. But it got later picked up by uh, by other people, and uh, and we sort of got uh, periodic table of elements, but a bit later. So uh, you see, we, we we can't really underestimate the value that, that uh, there is in researching things, publishing things, sharing ideas. And uh, coming up with with solutions that are derived from uh, R and
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that's how how um, evolution and, and progress is made in all fields, isn't it? It's uh, and, and you kind of really see it now, actually, with the rise of sort of um, taking that idea and extrapolating it out to technology in, in general. You know, the rise of the open source community and how yeah, you know, certainly languages like Python, which we focused quite heavily on have had just such meteoric rises because the open source community does rely on everybody doing their bit sharing publishing you know everybody coming together tweaking it and, and I suppose that's uh, that's a classic example of how that, that uh, concept you just mentioned there definitely rings true um,
1: absolutely and there uh, um, <clears throat> I believe that there should be more transparency as well so when you think about uh, about but, which is one of the, uh, the leading language models now and how open it is and how other people can actually use it, reuse it and repurpose it by uh, by fine tuning it. It's, it just shows that we can make collective progress, right?
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's always that, that balancing act, isn't it, between collaboration and solving problems and competition in the corporate world as well, especially in law firms, which I'm sure is probably a fiercely competitive world as well. Um, so, um, and, and obviously, like we said, seeing investment, uh, return on investment from a business point of view as well, it's always that, uh, that interesting balance. But Vinay uh, no, definitely raised some really interesting points there. And um, um, I guess the uh, you, you obviously are somebody that's come into the data science world from, let's like, say, think multiple masters, you've done econometrics you know you've entered into the world and you've come with a broad skill set i guess and and seen uh, a lot of things and brought a lot of experience to the table do you see any kind of um, interesting crossovers or parallels taking place between some of the innovation and breakthroughs that uh, are taking place within the legal sector do you see any of those that have major implications or or, um, kind of major effects for other industries or, or other sectors out there
1: Yes, yeah, so I think that the legal sector is actually uh, quite related to project management, still, to some sense, because if you if you treat legal legal cases as separate projects, all of a sudden you you have a project team, you have a project goal, uh, you're working with a client. So there, there are a lot of uh, similarities for sure. And <clears throat> just because uh, uh, legal pro- professionals are. are kind of similar in my opinion medical practitioners you see how uh, those two fields are m- maybe seem to be co-evolving so you have a lot of you know uh, smaller practices both in healthcare sector and in, in legal sector and you also have uh, some larger companies making an impact uh, so the, there's a lot of things that can actually uh, uh, a lot of synergies that can be can be found in that. Uh, one thing that I really like about uh, well litigation specifically, cetera, is this uniform task-based management system, which is a framework for having uh, a structure of um, of stages in the, in the litigation proceedings. And uh, I see it as something that just uh, simplifies the, the the understanding of the work that's being done. And uh, I'd like to see it in other industries as well. So, uh, to make things more slightly more clear, the idea is that uh, you have a standardized set of phases, for, or when you're running, um, when you're managing uh, litigation matter, and uh, and it simplifies the the understanding of what's going on and uh, uh, which stage we, we are at. And it also simplifies the and standardizes the, the expenses. It's it's something that's been uh, introduced in the, in the US and widely used by uh, American Bar Association. And it's also been uh, adopted in England and Wales as, as J code. So having this sort of framework, I think is uh, is extremely beneficial and would be extremely beneficial to all the other projects so anything that you do when you need to report time or when you need to understand what's the uh, what's the life cycle of the project that you're working on uh would be would be would be just um, improved mm. by finding this sort of uh, a crossover
0: interesting Yes, yeah, uh, i'm always interested here of, of kind of frameworks which overlap with other areas because there, there was always that balance I guess between all um, or, or that viewpoint of data science and where it converges with software engineering, and you know, clearly you've got approaches like agile within the software engineering world, and um, how what parts of those actually lend to um, you know, data science initiatives and, and data science projects. But are there any other methodologies which you employ personally when it comes to? Executing a, a data science project that um you know you y- you can share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a big uh, fan of CRISP. It's this cross industry uh, standard process for for data mining, and uh, I really like how it frames. I think it was developed by uh, by IBM if I remember well. And uh, it really nicely frames all the stages that you need to go through when you're developing a, a solution. The, the only thing that I would probably change in there is just put add human in the loop and put human at the very center of it. So, uh, as you very well know, when, when you're going through all these stages within a crisp, uh, you, you need to spend some time on business understanding and data understanding, and then make sure that you probably scope the problem and then you, when, then you proceed to data preparation, data pre-processing, and you do modeling, you, you make sure that it all works, uh, that it serves the purpose, you evaluate it, and then you either deploy it or go back to, to business understanding and then continue with uh, uh, another iteration by making sure that you really mm, know what problem you're solving. And by having this human in the loop, you're making sure that there is uh, integrity in the data, you may find some insights that will further, mm, uh, further improve your business understanding and data understanding. And uh, you, you're also having a human in control sort of of the, of the output of what's going on. So especially when we're working with those AI technologies, we want to make sure that uh, a human is able to do sanity check, even though it's you know, the, the best ever and it performs great on the, on the data set that we have at hand. Uh, we still need uh, uh, we still need to proceed with the evaluation. It doesn't always need to be uh, manual. It can be just monitoring data drift and you know, further evaluating the uh, model that's been created to make sure that this engine is actually serving the purpose.
0: Yes, I guess always that that piece of human input at the right stage is is key, isn't it? And uh, having the uh, like i say that evaluation uh, process is uh, it's key for any. Data initiative, I guess, to be successful. Um, but I mean, on that note, when it comes to um, actually working alongside other quality data scientists and and selecting um, you know, data scientists to to join the team, do you feel are there any particular traits or characteristics that you feel um, are core threads that run throughout great data scientists? Is there anything that you can uh, you can share from your experiences around that?
1: I mean the the typical things are you know been uh, analytical understanding quantitative concepts. It helps if you're good at coding. Obviously, you don't have to be be the best, but you need to be eager to to learn because uh, uh, coding uh, coding practices also change and uh, new libraries available, and you you just want to make sure that you are willing to learn. And so the, the one thing that I I particularly find important is. Uh, being able to properly scope the problems, uh, because if you if you scope the problem properly, you you nearly you nearly found the solution,
0: right?
1: Mm. And uh, it helps if you're working with someone that constantly asks the question why why things happen that way or why is the practice that way why why do we do things in, in this particular way? Yeah, uh, because it enhances the uh, the understanding. And actually, on both sides, and it can open or open someone's uh, or, or someone's eyes on the, on, the, on the problem that we didn't know existed. Um, I think that there are always that there also needs to be some sort of balance when it comes to experience, and it helps to have uh, data scientists who have some industrial experience. Uh, but also, <laughs> if you have uh, other people who have absolutely no clue what the industry is about, be it, you know, law, finance, or uh, uh, or, or healthcare or whatever, you just know that someone is eager to find the, the, the solution to a certain problem because very often these people will find a solution to a problem that we thought was uh, impossible to solve because they just, you know, no one breathed and it's impossible and they shouldn't, you know, spend on uh, So I think that's important. I, I've, I've actually seen it in financial industry and in some hedge funds when uh, the, they, they create this team of uh, amazing data scientists, physicists, mathematicians, and they just give them the, the market data and they tell them to not ask any questions about how markets work, how economy operates. Just look for patterns and trends and, uh, uh, and try to figure out, try to focus on the data. And uh, I mean, I got to say they've been quite successful in this approach as well, but uh, I still think that some sort of having this mix with uh, people who actually understand the sector as well and are data scientists is, uh, is extremely, extremely helpful
0: yeah i totally agree totally agree with the i mean for my two pennies worth on uh, the the point of, of trends or traits that i see in, in some of the, the best data scientists we've worked with you know feedback has always been um uh, curiosity as, as a as a trait you know someone that's just naturally curious and i think it's a great point that you make there about often if people come into an industry or, or a job without prior domain or sector experience it's seen as a a negative thing but like you said very often actually some of the best teams are naturally diverse by the fact that everyone does have a different perspective and they're looking at the same problem from a different angle and sometimes without that prior that prior knowledge like you say you just sort of treat the problem at face value very often that fresh perspective brings breakthroughs and innovation that uh yeah you just probably wouldn't have got if you uh create cookie cutter Teams of everybody in exactly the same blueprint, exactly the same template. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that. Um, and um, I guess just just lastly, in terms of uh, again another uh, question, I'm always keen to ask people like yourself in, in leadership roles within data science when it comes to you as a data scientist. I'm sure a pretty uh, as as much as anybody would be fait okay and, and bought into the concept of what data science can do for the business. But as with with any kind of introduction of technology or digital transformation or whatever it may be there's always a big exercise involved in winning hearts and minds and communicating this to people stakeholders and and people outside of the immediate data science team Um, and really the support of the wider business units and different stakeholders is is, is really quite key in in actually uh, ensuring success for a data science function but what what sort of wider business factors do you feel are most important to consider um you know, to ensure the success of a data science function um you know within within a business?
1: I mean, uh, like you said, I think support from from the business, from from the leadership or leadership of the, of the business is, is essential. I need to understand uh, uh, what what sort of problems are you, you're working on and how you intend to, to to solve them but they they also need to they also need to be willing to spend time and uh, sacrifice their time to to support you in, uh, or, or while you're solving these problems because very often you need, uh, you, need them, you need a lot of time, you need a lot of time to spend with them so they need to be uh, uh, patient and accepted as well uh one example that comes to my mind is uh, is working on the data sets, right? We all know that models are only as good as the data that we use to train them, but uh, you need to have a lot of uh, commitment from the whole organization to be able to create those data sets. We, uh, we at Mishkan are actually working on, on creating those um, public benchmarks and public data sets so that we can uh, further enhance uh, natural language uh, understanding not only on the tasks that are purely research driven but actually the ones that are relevant to business uh, and business operations and to business and businesses in in, in general so i think it's really important to have this support and to have this culture in the organization where uh, everyone everyone and have everyone's willingness to to help and uh, support this uh, these efforts and uh, these journeys it really helps if the organization is forward looking which I can vouch for and have uh, and, uh, clearly defined strategy uh, for, for the future so uh, I guess there's uh, these are the, the key things but obviously uh, you need to also have support at each stage and within the, within, the, within the organization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because after all you're working on problems to that, that support uh, the, the, the people that, uh, that work in this organization so they need to be supported in finding. The use cases and coming to you and saying actually well i have this problem is there any way to automate it and then you can say well cool let's 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 try to fix it let's solve it uh, but uh, you need to have this uh, sort of uh, idea generation coming from both sides actually yeah yeah
0: 100 yeah i totally agree um well, you know, I've really, really enjoyed the chat. Okay. I think it's been fascinating talking to you. You've shared some real value and real perspective that um, you know, certainly got, got the hamster turning in the wheel for me and things that I hadn't thought of before. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, nothing kind of remains but to say thank you very much for coming on and, and talking with us today. Really, really uh, grateful for you to to make an appearance. And uh, yeah, look forward to hearing about the latest uh, latest innovations that come out of Mishkondorea. Um, revolutionising the, the legal tech world for years to come.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. and I I look forward to well, maybe maybe meeting one day in a pub and things go. Oh, that mm-hmm. wouldn't that be
0: nice, eh? <laughs> Hopefully not too long. I'll see you there. <laughs> right. Thank you. You yeah, man. All right. Cheers, guys. We'll take care. Bye for now.
1: Bye.